when I think back to my own uh, childhood, it's kind of, or it was kind of this time of, uh, I remember excitement, I remember adventure, I remember uh, liking to explore kind of the world around me, and I'm thinking more of the age where I would just kind of go out, uh, where I grew up, the, the house was, was there, and we had a backyard, and our backyard neighbors was our church, most, mostly our church's parking lot. So I would get on my bike, and I'd ride through the backyard, and the grass part was hard, and then I would get in the church parking lot, and that was like my entry to the whole world. It was a medium-sized suburb in Minneapolis, but to me, it was my entry to the whole world, and I would uh, be able to explore uh, my neighborhood on my bike and, and just see what, what was out there, uh, see the whole neighborhood, and then and then sometimes my whole world would get very small and I could just kind of pull over and, and sit. I remember sitting in the church parking lot and, and like most parking lots, the edge of it kind of are gravelly and all the, the sand, you know, from the winter when they, they salt and sand the roads. And, and I would watch the ants play in the different ant hills that they'd make. And, and all of a sudden my world was very tiny and it was very interesting to kind of focus on different things. But um, a lot of of childhood, a lot of my childhood memories are kind of these memories of discovery, these memories of adventure and, and going out. But no matter where I went, uh, I had the kind of home life, I had the kind of, of life that no matter where my adventures took me, I knew I could always return home. I knew I could always return home and that there was safety there and that there was security there. And then I would enter my room and I would have a million stuffed animals and all of a sudden I was on a different adventure in my own imagination, uh, and I was, I don't know, running a zoo or something with, with all these stuffed animals. Um, but, but that safety of home, it, as I reflect back, kind of gave me that freedom to explore. Right? It was that safety of that place that I could return to that gave me this ability to be adventurous, this ability to just live uh, in a childlike way as a child and, and just uh, be a kid uh, in the world. And we are uh, a few weeks now into this sermon series called The Jesus Way. And The Jesus Way is this, this attempt in this series to say we're supposed to be followers of Jesus. We're not just supposed to uh, kind of read his teachings and say, yeah, I sign off on those. But we're actually supposed to be like following this, this Jesus in our world. How did he interact? Not, not only what did he teach, even though that's important, but how did he live his life? What does it mean that that we are Christians? What does it mean that we follow after this Christ in a world that, that often teaches different values, that often teaches a different way of, of understanding, a different way of living in the world, but yet, but yet we're followers of Jesus? And what does that mean uh, as we uh, enter into this world? So we're looking at different ways that Jesus lives, different things Jesus taught. So this week, uh, I'm calling the way of the child. And it comes here, actually it's a bunch of places in the Gospels, but, but for today it comes here from Matthew 8, right at the beginning of the chapter, chapter or verses 1 through 5. Uh, and Jesus commands his disciples to have a childlike faith. Now a little background here on Matthew uh, chapter 18, so we're, we're a good distance into the book of Matthew um, this is kind of a, a section of the gospel where there's a collection of different Jesus' teachings, and they've all been grouped together. And if you go back just, just one chapter, um, Jesus predicts to his disciples that his death is coming. 
It's actually the second time he's did it in the Gospel of Matthew. So by the time we get to chapter 18, there's been two times now where Jesus has told his disciples kind of how this earthly journey is going to end for him. So, so he's kind of shifted his teaching here from not just, uh, not just showing them miracles, not just showing them who he is, but he's starting to teach his disciples what it's going to look like for them to continue to follow him when he's not right in front of them anymore. What is it going to look like to live uh, in this world and, and be the kind of community that, that is characterized in their relationships with one another and in a world that largely has different values, in a lar- world that largely uh, has different things to teach? And most of these lessons that we get are actually pretty surprising. Especially if you were deep into kind of the first century world mindset that they were living in, these, these lessons are, are radical changes from what's going on. Now, in a really good way, some of these very lessons have kind of impacted our culture for over the last 2,000 years to the point where actually we miss some of how extreme what Jesus is saying was. Because we read this, and like this example, he brings a child before him, and we're like, we value children, largely as a society, right? I mean, the, there's, there's children that don't experience that, and there's, there's traumatic sides to that, and, and they can spend the rest of their lives trying to overcome that. But as, as a whole, uh, we're, we're not living in the same world that Jesus was living in, with how children were viewed, and, and I'll get to it in a little bit here, but... Um, Jesus is, is using this image and, well, here, in, in Jesus' day, uh, the disciples are expecting that he was going to be some kind of warrior king, that he was going to bring in this new kingdom. That's what they thought of with the, when they thought of the Messiah. That was how they read the Old Testament text. So they're expecting this warrior to king to come in. He's going to throw off the Roman occupation. He's going to build up this powerful and influential new earthly kingdom, this Jewish kingdom that's going to rule and it's going to have justice and righteousness and it's finally going to be a good place uh, for God's people to live. And what they don't understand is that the kingdom Jesus is talking about looks, looks so different from this earthly kingdom that's, that's all they can imagine. That Jesus is talking about something that that in the same way is familiar, but yet it's so different from what they expect. And he starts talking about the values of this new kingdom that is coming into the world, that's breaking into the world, and it's breaking in through him and through people who who will follow him, who will seek after him. And in the world, things like riches, things like power, things like authority and and influence are considered to make a person great. That's what makes uh, someone, someone powerful. That's what makes someone important is that they have these things. But Jesus starts talking about a different kingdom and a different world. And, and it looks so different. A kingdom where greatness is about humbleness. And a kingdom where greatness is about being a servant. And it's about taking a lowly position on purpose and and living life in a new way. This earthly kingdom, the the kingdoms of the world talk about self-sufficiency. 
They talk about being able to take care of not just yourself, but, but all those around you. And that's what makes someone great. That's what makes a great ruler. That's what makes a great leader. Is they can take care of themselves and they can take care of a whole group of people. But the kingdom of God is about, it's about making someone great by them knowing that deep down inside that they can't be self-sufficient. That it's not really even a realistic option. That they can't save themselves. It's a completely different view of what it means to, to be great in the world. What makes someone great in Jesus' kingdom is their reliance on God. What makes someone great is their willingness to lean on Him and not lean on their own ability. And to show this, here in this text, Jesus, he uses this object lesson. He, he brings this child before them. And the disciples, right before this, they're asking the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this is how Jesus responds. Matthew 18, 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The way that we view children in our, in our time, uh, it's, it's, like a, it's a cultural construct. It hasn't always been the case. It's not always how children are viewed. In the, in the Roman world, uh, in the world that, that Jesus is living in, uh, in the Roman world, they were viewed quite differently. In our world, children are normally held in high esteem. They're seen as the future. Their innocence is seen as a virtue uh, in our world. And and children are, are often called a blessing, and their childhood is something that needs to be fostered, and it's something that needs to be protected. And these are all great things, but in the Roman world, it was a completely different story. In the Roman world, children had very little worth until they came of age. They were kind of seen, even in families, as kind of like a leech on the system, and their value was when they were older. Right? And that reflected right through their laws. There was nothing protecting children. They were seen as property of their parents. And in some cases, in some Roman literature, children are spoken of as something to be, to be proud of. But the, even in that, the reason that they're proud of them is because they're going to pass on the family wealth or the family estate and, and the generations will continue and the family name will continue. So it's not, it's not really that they're valuable in who they are now. It's like once they get this big, right, then they have value. So, so we're proud that they're growing up. And, and in the meantime, they work largely the same as servants in any household. That was, that was the Roman view. Now, in the Old Testament, we have a slightly different view. So the, the Jewish mindset at the time is slightly different than the larger Roman world 
around them. It's actually more of a balanced view. It's somewhere between our view and, and this Roman view. And we can see it through the Old Testament. There's this emphasis that, that children are both sinful and that children have virtue. Children are referred to in the Old Testament as rebellious. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. <laughs> the Bible says it's true, so it must be true. I don't know. Uh, it's in Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 22. Children are rebellious. There you go. If you've experienced that, you're not alone. Uh, in Psalms, uh, we read that their sinfulness has been with them since birth. That's in Psalm 51. But we also read in Psalm 139 that children are wonderful creations of God. Again, I mean, that is so un-Roman. They're not Roman, but it's so, it's so different than, than the culture around them. In Psalm 127, children are called a blessing from God. Now again, some of this has kind of continued through Christian teaching, right? So we get some of this in our own culture, and that's a good thing. Uh, culture has been impacted by this, but that's not necessarily the worldview of the people that Jesus is teaching. They have kind of this mix of both of these. They're living uh, in, in this Jewish world, but it's also being dominated by this Roman world, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a difficult place to be. Here, in this text, we, we kind of think of children, and, and often our primary assumption is about their innocence, and that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. It's not, it's not so much pointing to the innocence of children, it's actually their vulnerability. So they're both of those things, right? They're, they're, they're innocent in that they, they kind of live in the world and they, they maybe aren't corrupted by the world like we are. They're not as jaded uh, as we are who have lived uh, through many things. And, and yet the other part of who they are is that they are, they're by their very nature vulnerable to a world around them. They're, they're fully dependent on other people who hopefully are good that can take care of them and can watch over them. Children are powerless uh, in society as a whole. Their innocence is, is in connection to their ability or their inability to advance their own will in the world. If, if you have a small child without anyone around them and they have big dreams of who they will become one day, they're they are incapable of getting there without others. They can't even feed themselves, bathe themselves, clean themselves. Trust me, I have several at home. They, they, can't, they can't do any of that. They, they could maybe do it for like a, a day, but that they need people around them. It's, it's not that that's bad. That's just who they are. That's, that just means they're a child, right? None, none of us would look at that and be like, that child's terrible. Why is he not cooking excellent dinners for himself. You know, it's like, no, this is just a kid being a kid. And Jesus knew that. So that's why he's using this child as an example. It's because there's, there's nothing wrong with the child because they don't uh, control the world around them. There's nothing wrong with a child that has big dreams and has no ability to accomplish them. That, that's just the very nature of who they are. They're, they're reliant. They're dependent on others. They need to lean on someone else. They, in, in my house, uh, 
like I said, we have three kids, and they are totally dependent on us. They're, they're dependent on us for food, for a warm house, for care, for nurture. Someone else has to be in charge. That's just part of what it means to be a child. Someone else has to be in charge, and, and lucky for them, we, as, as their parents, have their best interest in mind. Lucky for them, that's, that's the world they live in, but, uh, but Costco's not cheap. I mean, we, we want to exchange Costco bills, anyone. We've got three boys at home. They're starting to eat like three boys at home. I'll trade your receipts if you want. <laughs> Costco's not cheap. Heating the house is not cheap, right? Taking care of these, these other human beings is, is not some, uh, some easy thing. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. That's not even just speaking of, of helping raise them into to healthy whole people, right? That's just their physical needs. They're fully reliant on someone else. And they're truly lucky with, with everything that they have. And children that don't grow up with, with these basic needs, that don't grow up with these, uh, these basic things being taken care of, have deep, deep wounds. Deep, deep wounds that, that can often take them a lifetime or longer to overcome. But, it, but it's just the very nature of who they are, that they are reliant on other people. And I think that's where, that's where in Matthew 18, Jesus pulls a child before the disciples. And he's talking about their faith life. And he's talking about what it's going to look like to be reliant on God, to lean on God, to not lean in their own power, in their own understanding. He's not looking at, at these children because they're so capable. He's pulling one forward because... Because this child has this inability to do it on their own. This inability to take care of themselves. Verse 3. Remember the disciples came and they said, Who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Then Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In the world, things like riches and power and influence are considered to make a person great. People are powerful if they can control other people, if they control their own destiny, if they rule over others, if they exercise their authority over other people. And as we get older, we get more and more comfortable with this idea. And we get better at it. Right? We get more and more comfortable with this idea that we can hold authority, that we can hold influence, that we can control our own lives, that we can control our own destiny. After all, we can go to the grocery store and we can buy our own food. Right? And, and we, can, we can live in this world. But in the kingdom of God, greatness 
is about humbleness. And greatness is about servanthood. And intentionally taking a lowly position. In the world around us, everything is about self-sufficiency. It's about leaning on yourself, being able to take care of yourself. That's, what's, that's the mark of greatness. That's the mark that, that you've made it. Right? That you can fully rely on just your own ability, just your own skills, maybe your own education, maybe your own finances. And, and somehow that makes, uh, it's like that's better. And here Jesus is flipping that on his head, isn't he? He's flipping that whole, that whole idea. And he's, he's, he's not bringing in front of him some rich man and saying, this is what it's going to look like for you to be in the kingdom of heaven. He's bringing forward a child in their culture, in their time. Far less rights than we have today. Far less ability. And he's saying, this is what it's going to look like for you to make it in the kingdom of heaven. Disciples, you want to talk about greatness? Like, greatness is not even like, let's not start with greatness. First, first let's talk about like getting in. And getting in is going to look like this. It's going to look more like this child. Those who wish to enter the kingdom of heaven need to, need to have this awareness that, that they don't have the power and they don't have the authority and they don't have that, that ability that they think they do in the first place. That it's a facade. That we have some power, we have some capability in our own world, but, but in a world that, that is characterized by sin and a world that is a fallen place and, and we're hurting each other and we're hurting ourselves and we're constantly bumping in to other people and sin is spilling over in a million different ways, your own power and your own authority doesn't go very far. As Jesus said, it doesn't even get you in. So you can survive in a world, you can tread water, right? And, and some people do, some people do that their whole lives. They just kind of, they just kind of tread water, they're they think that they're maybe good enough. Am I, am I uh, doing enough to, to make it in? Am I not? And Jesus is kind of flipping the whole thing. He said, the whole point isn't that you're so capable. Actually, Jesus is telling his disciples, quit trying to be so capable. Quit thinking that you have it all figured out. This, this child that he brings forward doesn't have it all figured out. And that's not a bad thing. The, the child knows if it's safe to go home at the end of the day. The child knows that this is a, a place of comfort. And when it comes to us as disciples, we know if we can go before our Heavenly Father or if we can't. We know what it, what it looks like to lean on God when times are hard. Those who wish to enter the kingdom must turn away from their own power and their own self-seeking and in childlike humility call on God's mercy to allow them to enter. And that's why Jesus says being like a child is one of the characteristics of a true disciple. 
Because it's only through God's mercy that a person can have their sins forgiven. It's only through God's mercy. It's only through, through someone else's doing that you can be forgiven. It has nothing to do with your own ability and your own power. The disciples are asking the wrong question. Think about it. I mean, what, what power do you have to forgive your own sins? What power do you have to put yourself in a right relationship with God? You're fully dependent on someone else. Just like this child that's brought forward is fully dependent on someone else for all the basic things of life. Jesus is saying, that, that's what it looks like to be my disciple, is to have this recognition that, that we can't do it on our own. We're not even supposed to do it on our own. That you're striving after the wrong thing if you're trying to do it on your own. All we can do is rely on someone else to save us. And I'm really glad that the Bible doesn't just end there, but it tells us who that person is. That it doesn't just end with saying, rely on someone else, you have no ability to save yourselves. But yet it tells us of a Savior. It tells us of of a Savior who died on the cross for our sins, who was resurrected three days later. And if we follow him in childlike faith and we accept his death and we accept his resurrection, that we can experience forgiveness of sins and a new opportunity to live in a new relationship with God. Let me read it for you again. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Children are dependent on others. That's just who they are. They can't, they can't even survive on their own, and it's, and it's not because they're bad. That's not even a deficiency in who they are. It's just the nature of who they are. It's, it's what it means to be a child. It's not because they've done anything wrong. It's just what it means. And here Jesus is saying, that's what it means to be my disciple. That's what it means to follow after this Jesus, is, is to have this knowledge, to have this, this, uh, this just known part of, of who you are, of your being, that you are reliant on God. 
that, that when you strive to do it on your own, that, that Jesus is saying, come, come back. This, that's not even the point. You tried that long enough. How's it working out for you? It doesn't work out. And it, does, it certainly doesn't work out in the end. The point of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and, and this doesn't have to be a one moment, all of a sudden everything's fixed. This can be a journey for you. It can take you, take you years to get there, but, but the result that, that is being aimed for is a childlike faith. A childlike reliance on who God is. Because that's just the very nature of what it means to be a disciple. It's that Jesus' followers live life in such a way that they're, that they're consciously dependent on their Heavenly Father. Their faith is childlike, and not that it's immature, but that it's fully reliant on who God is in his goodness, in his mercy. 